Hello and welcome to yet another episode of We Got This Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about toxic environment because I believe that toxic environments are costing businesses quite a lot and usually more than they realize because I don't think we actually realize what the true cost of toxic environment might be. We sort of have, have an idea, but I don't think we can put figures on it and, and genuinely appreciate the true cost. What is the true cost? Well, first of all, Obvious fact, loss of productivity and employee turnover equals that loss of productivity. Decreased morale, high replacement costs. And replacing an employee can cost anywhere up to 200% of the person's annual salary in recruitment costs and training costs alone. But on top of that, of course, you need to add the loss of productivity as well. Toxic environments also drive your employees away or potential employees away. Because when employees are faced with negativity, bullying, toxic behavior, they will often choose to leave the company and rather than actually endure the stress or the frustration or, or deal with anything of that trying to change it. And then there is the emotional cost because losing employees also takes a toll on the remaining employees, on the remaining team members who feel disheartened, demoralized, and potentially might, might feel survivor's guilt if it comes out after a round of layoffs, for example. There is good news though that you have the power to lead the charge in creating a more positive working environment. And by taking action and advocating for change, you can really make a difference in the lives of your employees, your colleagues, and your entire organization. So I've enlisted the help of Elizabeth Boyd, uh, who is the going to, to explore this topic. And Elizabeth is a fractional director of talent development and learning and supports the elevation of growth and development by creating engaging programs that are centered around social learning in people-first organizations. We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together, together, we got this. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here with you. Great, great to have you. Great to have you. We've been we've been chatting off air about various topics, but we haven't covered the topic that I always reserved as the, as the first question. And that is, when you were little, who did you want to be when you grew up? Oh gosh, when I was little, I always wanted to emulate my dad. When I grew up, he got his degree and was professional in law. He specialized in labor law, but then he became an inventor, like a kooky, wacky. Einstein-like inventor. So he reinvented himself several times during his life. And I always thought that was really neat. He went from practicing law and then he opened up a knitting mill and then he started an iron works business and then just started inventing stuff for like the Department of Treasury in the U.S. Such a wild experience because he was really curious and interested. And, and that's what I hope I bring that honors him every day. There's a lot of curiosity and interest. Oh, wow. The, so he's, he's, he's a generalist by nature, by the looks of things. So I, I can relate yes. to that. Okay. Have you emulated that in a sense that you've also tried different things, had different jobs and kind of in different industries, different roles? I have. So even today, I, I love my job. I love what I do. But I also have two side gigs, which for me are really important in my life. One is I cook and bake for some local bed breakfasts in town. And then I also do some very silly drawings, like nothing 
super arty, but people seem to like them. And so occasionally they'll buy them. <laughs> I do, wow. do that are totally different from my normal professional job. Okay. Different different sides to people. There you go. That, that, those are the sides that we don't see. I think we definitely need to engage in, in, in more of those. I, I'm a person that, you know what, the number of industries that I've worked in, the number of different roles that I've had from being a lifeguard to being a teacher, obviously the student favorite working in bars and restaurants, but then project manager, different industries. Yeah, it's just, I've, t- I've touched many. I've genuinely have touched many. And I think mm, that ability for me and most people is that we have then the opportunity to connect, mm, to use Steve Jobs' term, differently to others, connect the dots differently to others because we see things from different, from different organizations, different industries, different experiences. And therefore, that gives us a slightly different perspective on, 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 the, de- on the things that, you, that we deal with, and especially when it comes to how we organize work in, in your and my case. But I think that type of attitude just has vast positive consequences across the board in any, in any industry, in any role. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. And it's that creative element that allows you to see things from different perspectives sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Because often, you've, you know, you, you've been in a situation that other people haven't been and you go, go well, how about this? Yeah. And, so, and often it's just that question alone that is enough to, to get people, actually, oh, wow, we didn't think of that. But yeah, we can do it this way. We can approach it that way. Yeah. And, you know, it's just that little, little spark of, of in, inspiration, motivation that they need to go down a different, different path that I didn't, they didn't consider or they did not potentially maybe even see until somebody mentioned it. Right. Listen, I could be I could be talking about being a generalist until the cows come home, but that's not what we're here for. What we're here for is to talk about toxic work environments. Yes. And you and I agreed about the fact that uh, we need to, I think, normalize. The, I don't want to say the definition, but the understanding of what a toxic environment is, because the same way as a lot of people who might be in a therapeutical process with a with a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and talk about uh, violence, we associate violence with physical violence mm-hmm. and, and abuse, physical abuse as well. And they don't realize that they might have been in a violent or abusive relationship in their upbringing or now uh, because they think violence is only that physical element. And often it's the little things, it's the small things day to day that can be classed as abuse for violent. And I think that really opens people, people's minds up. And I think with toxic environments in terms of workplaces, it's very, very similar. Because we might not realize that we are actually in a toxic environment because we just don't know any different, don't know any better. And we think, oh, actually, no, it's not as bad. You should, you should hear what my friend has to go through, right? What they're dealing with. And then by comparison, we tend to devaluate what, sorry, devalue what we're going through. So maybe let's start with that, with toxic, uh, with the definition of your kind of understanding of what a toxic environment is. How would you help people? understand that, explain that to them before we maybe then dig into some examples. Yeah, I think the easiest way for me to explain it is just when you're in an environment that things seem off or that the actions that the the organization takes don't align with your values. And that's what I always tell people when we talk about toxic environments is, you know, I ask them, what are your values? And if they don't know or can't articulate what that is, help them identify what those things are. That it's just, you know, it's sort of your gut feeling that something is off or it's not right or you see a red flag and you can't shake it. And that's really just sort of the easy, like, life way to identify a toxic environment. 
Okay. I know for a fact that a lot of the clients and organizations I work with, for most people, values are just posters on the wall, which is a shame. But then to kind of play, play, play devil's advocate here or being cynical, doesn't that mean that a lot of organizations that have toxic environments? What, what is it specifically about that if they don't feel that when, when things are off? What do you, what do you think that is? Well, I think that there are some organizations where they are posters and a page on the internet. I also have experience with companies who truly daily live their values. And I'll name like NBC Universal, Match Group and Tinder. Those were organizations that truly live their value. And they hired to those and they looked for people who had those. It's the other ones that are more challenging. And I do think that when people identify their personal values or their professional personal values, they can start to eliminate companies that don't align with those things and gate any possible problems that they'd enter into by, by joining an organization that doesn't share their values or where they don't come to life. And you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, 15 years ago, companies could manufacture their reputation. Now they can't. It's harder. So you can actually figure out through LinkedIn networking and Glassdoor and other platforms what real life is like in those organizations. So it's really important to do your homework. It's definitely, it's definitely much easier for employees. But then I wanted to say a double-edged sword. I don't know whether that's the right expression here because what I think, and it's a question, what, what was first, chicken or the egg, I guess, is you have a situation where you've got an employee leaving your organization not saying anything, right? As soon as the doors shut, they're already on glass door. Oh my God. And the review is far from nice. It's minus three stars and it's acid literally all over the place. And you kind of go, as, a, as an employee, kind of go, what the hell? Where did that, where did that come from? Right? What, what, what happened? And where, where is the responsibility? Is it the employer who's kind of missed something and actually created this situation? Or is it the employee that didn't have the guts to actually confront the situation and say, listen, I don't enjoy this? Or during the exit interview was wearing rose-tinted glasses. Right. Yeah. And I, I think all of those are fair. I, it is a green flag to me when companies that I talk to about fractional work say, okay, if you go on Glassdoor, there's a whole bunch of sour grapes people that have bad things to say about us, but it's not us, it's them. And companies actually say that. And I think that's a huge red flag. Like, why was this concerted community effort made to trash talk a company if there was no purpose or reason for it? There's some underlying issue. So making decisions off of that. And I totally get what you're saying. I always take glass door reviews with a grain of salt. But that's where things like networking with former employees on LinkedIn works out really well. Asking what the culture is really like. Somebody who has no real vested interest in join, don't join, who can give you that sort of objective feedback about their experience there. So there's there's power in that through LinkedIn. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's true, to kind of, it, it's true of the fact of any type of reviews. I'll be the first one to raise my hand the last time I read, left a positive review on, on a product that I bought of Amazon. I haven't. But then... I balance that out, in my opinion, by not leaving the negative ones, right? right. My first port of contact is always directly to, to, the, to the person I bought it from, to the manufacturer, whoever, saying, listen, I've got this, or I've just simply returned a product. But my, my ethos is if I, 
if I'm not leaving positive reviews, I'm not leaving negative ones as well. Right. I genuinely, I don't think the last, I can't think the last time I've left a negative review that was kind of out of anger, kind of that frustration, you know, that you you can, you can literally hear the person typing <laughs> that type of anger with kind of teeth really clenched, jaw clenched and that. It does happen, but I don't know, with Glassdoor, I think it's, it, it's similar. But that brings us on to the, the kind of the environment within your organization. I know you've done some of your, your homework around toxic environments, around kind of what are different, a different part and, and different elements. How would you group them? You mentioned values is one thing, but are there any characteristics, any elements that you, mm, you would point people to, to kind of pay attention to, to explore a little bit further? Yeah, I would ask questions. For me, some questions are like, okay, so if I'm talking to a company about a potential fractional rule, Tell me about the last time you actioned something on from the employee engagement survey. What did that look mm-hmm. like? How did you roll that out? You, you'd be surprised at how many companies say, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. And that's a huge red flag. If they're just doing what they think they should have to do instead of mm-hmm. doing the right thing, which is actioning change, actioning feedback, people are giving their feedback. There should be some accountability to respond to that from organizations. Mm-hmm. So that's a great question that I found. I didn't come up with that. I saw that somewhat to kind of see how they action change and how they listen to their people in an organization like mm-hmm. that. Going back to sort of my, my homework, I did find five items and they're called the toxic five that I thought I'd share with everybody who's listening today about things to look for. One is a disrespectful environment. One is that the environment's non-inclusive. It's unethical, it's cutthroat, and it's abusive. So those are sort of the five toxic elements that create a toxic work environment and that you can kind of get an idea about when you reach out to people to find if, you know, what the real culture is in an organization. People will tell you stories. So knowing what you're looking for is really important. No, you're right. Definitely people will tell you stories. And I've still got quite a few LinkedIn connections from my employee days when I was looking for work doing just that reaching out to people partially to kind of get my foot through the door let's be honest but also to gauge that okay you know fancy a virtual coffee I'd, I'd love to learn what it is like to work in the organization because i've had james barcloth on on the podcast now probably about a couple of months ago from seb the swedish bank he's kind of their employer branding person within the organization and we were talking about, and, and James did set me straight on a couple of things because I quite playfully am often against associate employer branding to just kind of a little bit whitewashing PR. We look great from the outside, but everything's falling left, right and center and burning within the organization. And unfortunately, that's often the case. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the, the, the most visible element of that is when you have an ad, an ad campaign or posts going on the company's social media profiles about this, you know, work for us, this, that, that benefit and this. And the current employees are sitting there going, you, you what, where? Here? Nah, never. And it's just like when you've got that disconnect, that huge, humongous gap, I mean, okay, there's definitely something not right there. And I, that, that's kind of what concerns me, that we, we focus so much on, on, on employee branding, on PR within organizations and outside of organizations, we kind of miss what is like inside. Therefore, how do organizations kind of tackle that completely different topic but again pulling it back to toxic environments with the the five items that you've mentioned are there any examples that you've seen that you've lived and experienced yourself to again normalize to bring a little bit closer home to home the what a toxic environment actually looks like in real life what do what do these 
any of these five items that you mentioned look like in real life in the day-to-day of an organization? I actually have an example that hits all five that I can oh, share Christ. with you. <laughs> go, go, go for it. I was, so buckle up. This is going to be fun. Um, I was doing some work with a company in 2022 and was very lovely and sounded amazing. And the people that I met with were wonderful. When I got into the environment very quickly, I realized that it was what they wanted that culture to be in lieu of what the actual culture was. You know, disrespectful, the VP of talent would make fun of candidates that got hired because of cultural differences. The VP of HR refused to bring anything negative to the president of the organization. So he was totally out of the loop in terms of what was happening. There were concerted effort to get people out of the company who didn't fit in with that group. It was a very unusual environment. And I had my own challenges with the people team leadership. But as I was discussing these things with them, they were really good at at sort of siloing people off from the rest of the group. And one day, a colleague of mine who also sat on the people team put time on my calendar to talk about something. And the second we got on the call, she broke down and she was really upset. And she's like, I have literally had ideations of suicide because of the VP of talent. And that was the moment that I knew that it was this group of four people, all in leadership positions, that were not going to let anybody who didn't fall in line behind them work in a healthy way. And it was probably, I've been working for many, many, many years. And it was probably the worst environment I'd seen, the point where I bowed out of that project. It just didn't align with anything that had to do. I tried to make changes valiantly. I tried to make changes. It just wasn't going to happen. And when I found out that some of my my friends, my acquaintances at work were literally having to go to therapy because of their experiences, it just set off this sort of obsession with me to figure out Why are companies broken? How can we get this out there? In November, I caught them lying on their candidate website about platforms that they were offering for diversity, equity, and inclusion. I remember being on a call with the VP of talent and the VP of HR, and I said, are we going to get this? Because it's already on the website that we're offering this. And they were like, oh, gosh, I don't know who did that. And in that company, it was very lean. You did your own work. You didn't have assistants. You didn't have EAs that did things for you. You did your own thing. And the VP of talent was the one who put that on there, knowing full well it wasn't something we were offering. And it was a very duplicitous environment that had 60% turnover. So if you were involved in recruiting, you were constantly lying to that candidate. I wasn't involved in recruiting but you were constantly lying to that candidate to get them to join the company under the skies of this, you know, beautiful, inclusive, wonderful, healthy place that was anything but. This is is sort of the second time I'm hearing a version of this story from you, because obviously we we did have a chat about a couple of weeks ago, which prompted the choice of the topic that we we were discussing today. And I'm still shocked. It is shocking. Equally, it it is shocking that you've got these organizations and you know, the VP of HR would say to me when I'd be talking with her about like a new hire group that came in that I was working with, gosh, I don't know if that person's fully bought into this company. And I'd be like, of course not. How could they be? Is anyone bought into this company? 
it was just a very strange environment. And I've never experienced that before. I'm tr- I'm trying to think back to some of the situation I've I've experienced within organizations, and I I have to say in in that sense I was lucky that I definitely didn't hit all five in any organization. There were some that I don't know whether we could class them as toxic, but there were one of my first jobs, and then goes back to being actually an, an English language teacher. There was chaos around you know when we're going to get paid, and eventually I decided to 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 leave, and I sacrificed some pay as a result of that. I worked in organizations where, yeah, there was kind of silos and and clearly situations where, you know, not that you were pitched against one another, but there was an element of a very unhealthy rivalry. And I'm, you know, a very competitive person, kind of my sports background comes comes through here. And I do I do love that part of myself. But to me, sportsmanship and, and sport, sportsmanlike conduct and, and healthy competition is is the only way to go in this sense. So I can't see that. But I don't think I've ever experienced like proper discrimination and this mm, and this actually an interesting point that I've never considered because I Poland was born and raised in Poland lived in the UK for, for a big chunk of my time in in my life and I've never had a situation where I felt discriminated as a result of being Polish I don't sound Polish but as soon as you see my name you can figure it out that chances are I'm either a born and raised in Poland or second third whatever generation so knowingly, I've never been discriminated. But based on my name, when I was applying for jobs, who knows? Right. The only time I've had a situation with somebody, I was working in a, in a pub as a student, and one of the locals had a few too many drinks and, and stars. I don't even remember what he, what he said. But the beautiful thing was about it, that the, even before I realized that he was saying something to me about me, before he kind of even landed and sunk in my head, the other locals kind of go, oh, shut up. What the hell are you talking about? And then they started defending me, which is, which, which is a great thing to, to experience as well. But that, that, that be said, there are a lot of things around the five items that, you, that you've mentioned that we often don't pay enough attention to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one or two of those is enough to start really reflecting and seeing, you know, is this right? Is this a one-off? Is it? consistent? Am I the only one experiencing this? You know, in my situation that I was part of in 2022, I literally thought it was just me, that I was seeing all of these red flags and maybe I was going looking for them. And then finally, when I connected with somebody else, I was like, it was validating. But just knowing that somebody was experiencing something that was so mentally draining and emotionally draining for her every single day was really upsetting. And the fact mm-hmm. they she had to resign because they were working so hard at getting rid of her, even after they knew that she thought about driving her car into oncoming traffic. And she told them mm. that. Jesus. Yeah, it was really, really wow. bad. What'd you say? Because this is again trying to to set it in the context of, of, of reality. Because we in living in times where and we have been for a while, actually, where we need to do the, the, the more hours you work, the, the, the better you are, yeah. the better you are perceived, right? Where's, where's the line, you know, yes, get things done. You, you're free to work or whatever, whatever hours. You're not said, but you're, we're, not, we're not timing you. But where is that element that people actually feel the, the need that they need to, you know, that working 38, 35, 40 hours, depending on employment law contract in your country that you're obliged to do, the people that that is just a, a, a random statistic that no one pays attention to because everybody's doing more mm-hmm. and that they feel that if they don't work more, 
there will be a disadvantage for promotions that will be perceived as lazy. Yep. Would you class that as a toxic trait? It is. That's been sort of the expectation in my world is that you, you know, you work your 40 and you're present and you're there, even if you're not being productive. Like to your point, that counts as productivity. So people are like toxically productive in their days without getting much done. I think that that's exactly what you said is sort of why we're seeing this rise in fractional consulting interim and advisory roles, these non-traditional work roles, mm -hmm. because you can manage your schedule better. You can opt in or out of the environment once you realize what the reality is. You have that choice. I can ask hard questions of my potential clients that I would never ask as a full-time, regular, permanent hire in an interview. Mm -hmm. I can ask them those questions. Whereas I would be nervous, it would discount me from consideration if I asked it as a as a candidate in a in a traditional mm -hmm. role. So I think that's sort of why we're seeing this rise in these non traditional roles is because people mm -hmm. are done playing those silly games that so many companies expect us to play. Yeah. What about again talking about kind of the amount of time worked, the guilt that people feel taking time off. Yeah. And so many, so many people actually not taking their allocation every single year. Right. Right. Again, in, influenced by the environment. Yeah. Toxic trait, would you say? It is absolutely toxic, especially because there's so much reporting and study information done about if you have unlimited PTO, people are actually taking less PTO. But how healthy, mm -hmm. healthy it is to take PTO yep. and to dis truly disconnect and have experiences outside of work. But yes, I definitely think that's part of a toxic environment. And I think the statistic, I'm not going to probably get it exactly right unless I look down at my paper, which I'm doing right now. Ten percent of people feel like their manager is responsible for the culture that's created because there are these little team microcultures, right? And those can be toxic in an otherwise healthy organization. But your manager is setting that tone. And it's a great question to ask, like, how do you manage? Like, what are the parameters for taking two weeks off when in summer when my kids are off school? It's a great question to ask. And if they don't answer it directly, like if you're up to date and you're doing great, take it. Or, you know, let's see when we get closer to that. That would definitely be a red flag for me about a potentially toxic environment where product, where attendance and FaceTime is the key indicator of productivity. Yeah. The, in terms of questions that to ask managers, often when I talk to my clients and they say, you know, my people struggle to disconnect and they, you know, they answer emails after work or on weekends or when they're off. And kind of going, okay, tell me about how you manage your time off. And that's when it comes out. It turns out that, you know, they, the, the manager, the, the, the leader does answer emails when, when they're on holiday or, or when they're out of, out of the office or whatever, they're meant to be in a meeting, but they're still there. Now, apart from the signals that it's sending in terms of, okay, you need to always be on 24 seven and weekends, you always need to be connected. That's the signal that you as a leader are sending to your people, mm -hmm. whether you realize that or not. That I would say is one. Not not a great, but not the worst signal. But even the, the one of the worst signals that you can send is when you take time off and you check in on emails and respond on emails that you're CC'd on when you're off. Mm -hmm. Nothing, if you, if you don't realize that, let me tell that to you now. Nothing says, I don't trust you, as in my team, more than replying to emails when you're on holiday. Right. Let's just make that plain and clear. That's what we, because you're, you're micromanaging, you're changing. You're basically saying, 
you can't do it without. Right. Right. Not realizing that it reflects poorly on them. <laughs> exactly. You, exactly. You can't set your team up for success. Mm -hmm. And you don't very true. Very, very exactly true. To your point, you don't trust them to manage yeah. business. Or if you don't, if you genuinely can't trust them because they continue, continuously drop drop the ball, okay, fair enough. That's the thing that you need to be addressing. Right. If you can't address that, and I'm sorry, very likely you've recruited the wrong people again. Sorry, but the finger is pointing in the opposite direction to where you're thinking to. It's pointing at you. Right. You as a, I'm not blaming leaders. I'm not blaming managers. But I think both sides need to take more ownership of the situation, both the leader for the environment that's been created, created, as well as the employees who need to think, okay, I need to lift my stuff. I can't just be sitting here expecting that my manager is going to do this, the company's going to give me that, unlimited leave, flexible working. No, hang on, hang on. You know, at the very least, this is a 50-50 dynamic. Right. You're part of a team. Pitch in. Yeah. Carry your load. Not just kind of expect to give, give, give. And this is the classic kind of millennial problem now. Gen Z. Younger Gen was C, <laughs> Z. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not up to my alphabet now. But the, that is the case. But it, older generations is, is the same. You have to genuinely have to consider things like that from both ends, the manager and the employee. So I'm often accused of blaming organizations. I understand why, but that's not the case. And I believe that employees need have, need to do some heavy lifting as well. Right. Well, and you you bring up a really good point because one of my initiatives always when I go into a company, everyone wants to train their managers, right? Their people leaders. They want to train them how to give feedback, how to, you know, have a really great career conversation, how to motivate your team. I believe very strongly that direct reports of managers need to have the same tools. If we're teaching a leader how to give feedback, we should be teaching their direct reports how to give feedback in the same way we're teaching the managers. So if that's okay, we're going to use start, stop, and continue both ways during a one-on-one, -on -one, teach people how to do it equally so that they're meeting on the same level playing field. That way I know how to give really great feedback to my manager if I'm not getting what I need from them in a really sort of benign way that's meant to encourage action, not resentment. True. In the line of work that you and I do, it's often that, you know, we, we speak to people, we speak to our friends and who are in full-time employment organizations. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I kind of quite naturally become the coach and the, or the, the venting person that they kind of, you know, get things off their chest and more than happy to listen, more than happy to advise as, as much as I can. The the thing that gets me, and I always I I always ask the same question when somebody goes like, oh, you know, my boss this, my boss that, my my colleague this, my colleague that, and I, the one question I always ask that stumps ninety nine percent of people that I speak to is, have you told them that? Have you told them directly? A version of what you've just told me? Well, I couldn't. Oh, no. well, here here's a tip. Have a little conversation with them. Just think about how you can break it down. If you don't feel doing up, you know, face to face, fine. Just write an email, right? Start start small. Next thing or next thing, next time one of these things happen, voice it, right? right. Develop a little bit of assertiveness. You know, if if the environment is not there, because again, we're getting back to, to to toxic environments. Because what you and I are talking about is possible in relatively normal ish, healthy ish environments. If it's completely toxic and aggressive and abusive. The things you and I are talking about are not going to fly right. because most of the people will not have that capacity, the ability to do that. And there's not going to be capacity within the environment to be able to do that. 
Absolutely. And that's why I firmly, and, and that's a great question to ask. Like, how do you like feedback? If you're an individual contributor interviewing with the hiring manager who you're going to be reporting to, talk to me about the last time somebody gave you feedback. How do you like to receive it? Do you like to receive it in one-on-ones? Should I send you a Slack message? What does that look like for you? And if they're like, well, I don't know, nobody gives me feedback. You know, mm-hmm. ask that question, that next step question. Okay, do you like feedback? Are you open to it? How How is that managed here? To figure out if you can have a two-way dialogue with your people leader. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 definitely there. It's it's about building the that those opportunities, creating these opportunities to give feedback. Start feedback is one one of many things that you can right. that you can work on. Are there any other examples that you can think of similar to the ones that I've mentioned in terms of the the little things, like for example, people feeling guilty to take time off, um, that you've seen in organisations that are indicators of an unhealthy or toxic workplace environment. Yeah, I think. One of the phrases that I hear sometimes is it's over my pay grade. I think that's an indicator of a potentially toxic work environment, even if it's in your own little team culture, because most of us have ambition to either be really good at what we're doing and we're not quite there yet, but we constantly work on it or want to get to the next level of our career. So I think if you hear somebody articulate, okay, that's not my pay grade or that's not part of my job description. There's potentially a challenge there. And even if it's just their perspective that they're living, like maybe maybe I just don't like my job because everyone else around me thinks happy, that's going to diminish the productivity and, to your point earlier, the morale of the people around them. So that's sort of one of those things when I hear it, I'm like, oh, interesting. I have to explore that a little bit more with that person. Yeah, it, I, I have to say that, that that role of going into, although I don't, class myself as a coach I do very little coaching these days you know even when you're in a group and a facilitated role you still have that kind of uh, coaching hat on and I go so so easily into that role it's actually quite scary it's something and and, and I must be frustrated for the people I'm around like you know my closest friends like so I, I, I sometimes speak to them and they are and they, they'll share something they, they'll say and I, even without knowing I'll ask a coaching-esque type question and they, they kind of look at me and kind of go I don't need you to be a coach. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, and I do. I need. I need that. I need. I need to be stopped right. sometimes because it's 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 easy that you want to you want to help and you've got that kind of need. I'm a problem solver as well by nature, so that, quite naturally, I, I'll 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 see a puzzle and I kind of go, okay, let's crack this one. Well, and that that's exactly the right thing because we do. That's what we do. We problem solve. Like everybody will come to us and be like, we need training or a, a template for this. It's like, do you really? Okay, what problem are we trying to solve? And I would say a good half the time, it's not about training. It's about, a lot of times it's a people issue. So you have to get to mm-hmm. the heart of that. But yeah, that's our first question. What problem are we solving? So when yeah. people bring yeah. up a challenge, you're like, okay, let's solve this problem. And sometimes to your point, they just want you to listen and not yeah. fix. Yeah. It also, at the risk of generalizing, it's, it's, it's also a man thing that, you know, it's like, okay, here's a problem. I want to fix that. I, I take that on, on the chest, no, no doubt. The element of what you, what you said that, you know, organizations to me often come with a problem. Feedback's not working. My, I've got silos. Since we moved to remote working, it's just not working. The first few months, a year was good, but now it's just, you know, everything's coming past the seams. So I understand they've got a problem and that's what they need. And as you said, they come with a training issue, right? They need additional training. 
okay, fair enough, I'll help you, but I'll do you a deal. As part of that training, we'll do what I believe will be even more beneficial and we'll do a bit of discovery work. So every, every of my sessions, so I don't class myself as, as, a, as a trainer, more a facilitator, if anything, but more, most of all a designer, where I look at the problem that a class customer comes to me with and be it where you know our meetings are inefficient okay fair enough let's let's do a three-hour session let's talk about that you'll go you'll go away with techniques things ways of doing more efficient meetings but on top of that we'll do some exercises where you'll understand why meetings are ineffective in your particular case because that will uncover you could nine times out of ten the problem is a symptom it's not a cause i want to get to the cause Right. It's not. I'm not going to be able to do an one workshop, but I'll give you a semblance of what that is. Right. And you you can wait. You can take whatever you've identified. What I give you during the session techniques that you came for that will solve your problem. Mm -hmm. But you will also have a bunch of other things that you you might want to look at, build upon, or improve, or maintain, or whatever if they're positive things. Because often we un uncover good stuff, not just the bad stuff. Right. 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 Exactly. It's it's this expedition and. You never know what's going to come out of it. And I think one of the interesting things that you do that you kind of were explaining to me too is there's this human design. There's not a, it's not a one size fits all approach. Even in what I do, it's, you know, companies are like, well, we've read this adult learning theory. We want to do this. Okay. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. I'm all for adult learning theories, but it's usually a blend and it really is this human design approach to things and really centering on the root cause, like you mentioned, and some people are way off. Some people are a little bit closer, but helping them identify them. And then they start mm -hmm. asking better questions and they start looking for themselves and trying to figure it out before they bring the, the challenge. But it, it really is all on that human design. And if we use a little more human into our workplaces, they'd definitely be less toxic. <laughs> definitely, definitely. We, we lost, we lost, I often say we lost the, the H and HR somewhere along the way and we definitely need to bring it back you know, there's we moved to people in a culture which i thought was great but then again turned out to be a pr exercise and now i've noticed that we're moving to people experience which again on the surface absolutely love and you've got my 100 percent backing uh, i just hope it doesn't turn out to be another pr stint but that's the skeptical side of me what you meant i'd like to uh, what you said i'd like to build on that in terms of you know getting get inspired by what other organizations are doing what about what i've seen and i've experienced this firsthand don't do a copy and paste well, because what you're copying is just the surface. You're not cop cop copying the, the source code. It's not going to work. Inspire, take, adapt to your, and really understand what it's meant to be. This is the case for Spotify squad models. This was the issue that we had with the supply chain because everybody copied Toyota's supply chain. And that's why we, you know, we ended up with the problems that we, we've had during the pandemic around the blockages because everything's just in time. It doesn't work when half the world stops all sorts of things. So be mindful of what you're copying, inspire yourself, just really, really think how you can adapt that into your organizations while maintaining what your organization is about. But pulling us back yet again to toxic workplace environments, Elizabeth, costs, talk money to me. What, what is this? What, what are the impacts of toxic environments? I've mentioned a few things. Have you got any more detailed information, any examples of what what is this costing the business? Yeah. So one of the more interesting statistics that I was researching and uncovering around toxic environments is that in 2018, it cost just the U.S., because that's the, the information I could find, 
$23.8 billion in lost productivity because of a toxic work culture. By 2022, that had spiked to $50 billion a year just in the U.S. So in three years, it doubled in size. So it's out there. The other thing that I read that was really sort of surprising to me is that the cost savings that a good hire can bring to you is about $5,300. Not hiring, so avoiding a toxic person, inviting them into your environment, or letting them go from your environment delivers a cost savings of $12,500. So more than twice what hiring somebody good does, getting rid of the bad helps. And it helps because they, they hit everybody else's morale and engagement. So you don't have that sapping the energy from your team anymore. Just one person. Imagine if you had like in a team of eight, half of those people at the, the company that I was using as my example earlier, half of them were horrible. So, like really terrible people. So imagine that cost savings because they were all VPs and directors. Everybody felt terrible. So imagine that cost savings. So this is just an average coworker, that $12,500. Imagine when you get rid of toxic leadership, how that can benefit the business in cost savings for, you know, gained productivity, less healthcare costs that type of thing. So those were kind of the two things that really stood out to me. There's oodles of information out there, but really when you start looking, it's it's letting the bad ones go who are just cancers in your environment. That can have such a huge impact on revenue and productivity and all of that stuff. It's just really incredible when you start looking into it. I'm, I'm speechless when it comes to those figures. I've, I've seen figures around how much unresolved conflict is costing organizations within the UK. I'll, I'll pull those up. Can't, can't remember the top of my head, but we're talking something around several thousands, thousand pounds per person, per employee going, I think, into like 14, 15 billion or something like that. Something ridiculous. But I'll pull those up because it was part of the my newsletter that went out a few a few weeks ago. But 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 the the the, the person that you said that toxic we often and I've seen again firsthand holding on to that top performing salesperson who delivers over delivers smashes the targets out their their targets out of the park. But the mayhem, havoc, and destruction they they cause within the organization is unbelievable yeah and then they they get to get they get to stay because they deliver right so stop again please stop making excuses i know if let me put it this way if your company is on the verge of sinking and not having that person means going under and everybody else lo losing their jobs i understand keep fair enough but do something about it if you're not in situ life and death situations and yes your company will take a hit I appreciate for me, it's easy to talk because I'm not running that company. Genuinely, I do. But at the same time, think about short term versus the long term. Because because of what that one person, three others that are great potentials might kind of go, you know what? Screw this. Right. And they're going to go to your competitor. Yeah. If they leave, if not, they're still going to hurt your business because they're just not going to want to show up. And by showing yeah. up, they might be there present but they're not doing yeah. the right thing because what's in Absolutely. it for them. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Okay. Anything that you think that we haven't mentioned, any other kind of elements, stats, aspects of toxic work environment that you, you think that we should have mentioned? No, I think we covered no. most things. Just remembering there's, 
smoke their spire and just to dig a little bit deeper yeah or when there's not there's there isn't any smoke also be a little bit mindful i'm not saying raise red flags don't look for problems when they're, they're not there but pay 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 definitely closer attention to to who you've got on your team and how things are going and how people are behaving pulse surveys engagement surveys are very useful i always encourage clients when they do them and when there are discrepancies or when there are you know results that they're not particularly satisfied with okay look around what happened three weeks prior a month prior to when you've done that or around the time when you do it were there layoffs were there new hires were there bonuses was it summertime was it horrendous you know uptick in terms of work and everybody was you know up to their eyeballs with everything look for the correlations because that will explain a lot of the statistics and if you can't explain something then look further what what what's going on if you've got people leaving left right and center and the front door of your your office is like a revolving door two in two out every single time some something's possibly not right so keep keep digging keep looking and as i always say start asking why until it hurts and then continue to ask why because when it hurts that's when you're getting to the meaty stuff that you really need to uncover that's when it gets uncomfortable that's where the truth lies that's when you started to get the source that's when you started to get to the the root causes of what we're talking about elizabeth we've, we're coming up to summer because we're recording this obviously in end of end of may what have you got coming up over the next few months oh gosh other than my kiddos getting out of school for the summer next week just work i'm enjoying working with some fractional clients i'm meeting with some potential new ones of course cooking and baking because that's my fun part but just really doing some more work and like i said i i sort of make it a, a point and a priority to build out programming that supports individual contributors and people leaders so just working on building more robust programming for individual contributors to um, fit into their day so that we don't have to pull them off of their work and train them. But so they, there's content and information that's accessible to them. That's a big initiative of mine for 2023. Good stuff. Good stuff. And how can people find you? How, where the people can find you? How can people get in touch if they want to? follow up on what we're talking about, if they're interested in the work that you do or the, 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 the programs that you've just mentioned. Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn, Elizabeth Boyd, and my little portfolio website is talentlab.live. So you can find me either of those places. Brilliant. I'll, I'll include the links in the description so you can find Elizabeth. And I really do encourage you to, to get in touch, not just to talk about toxic work environments, but anything to do with talent development and learning. Uh, Elizabeth. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for, for taking the time and having this discussion because it, it was very, for me, very enjoyable. A bit of back and, back and forth in, in, in our views. We agree on a lot of things, which, which is good. And I hope that we, we raise some eyebrows, hopefully, or open some eyes and ears to, to the topic of what toxic environments are. And they usually are more present, more prevalent than, than, than people think. So um, start asking questions and start investigating. But Elizabeth, Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It was fun. I had a great time. Right. We've covered quite a few things today and you can't fix toxic environments in one go with one workshop. No matter how much myself or Elizabeth want to help you, it's a, it's a long process. But most of all, it's about these little things along the way that you do. And that's why one of the things that I share with my clients, with my audiences, are culture micro practices. They are little 
small, quirky, occasionally quirky things that you can introduce that you can try with your teams on a daily, on a weekly basis. Little, small practices, activities, little projects from how you do one-on-ones to how you do feedback, how and maybe a feedback technique or a conflict resolution technique. If that is something that you're interested in receiving, that's something that I send out in the form of a newsletter every two weeks, every other Monday, usually Monday morning European time, then do head over to human.pm forward slash CMP, CMP for culture micro practice, and you'll be able to get them from there. That is it for today. If you enjoyed this episode, I do encourage you to check out all the other ones that we've got. And also, I'd really appreciate a review or a hit of that like or share button so that these episodes can get further afield and expand and share in, in your network. Until next time, I was your host, Lech Wazowski.